thanks for taking little Billy fishing. He had a great time. Turns out he wasn't even really seasick. Um, have you ever had chicken pox? Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And I, we, we almost forgot how we did this. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. Oh, okay. We're professionals. Yes. I suppose. Um, speaking of professionals, uh, we got a couple, couple of pros in this oh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're bringing our, our focus back to an angel centric episode this time with, uh, season three, episode five, drought at Indian head river. Yeah. So I, I picked this one, uh, getting back to a multiple episodes ago impulse of let's do a fun one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I tried to, to be a little more discerning, um, in picking an episode that I thought would give us a lot of, uh, a lot of laughs, uh, as well as some, some good stuff to talk about. And I feel like this, this episode delivers on those scores. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, the, uh, and there's some, uh, nifty things going on in it that, um, we'll probably get into when we get into it, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. So this is season three. Mm-hmm. It's, it's become a thing now for me to try and contextualize because uh, we're watching them out of order and uh, not contextualize them with uh, the like any sort of narrative arc, uh, but to contextualize them with, uh, I guess, what could be considered our theory of how they're being made. Now, sure. how is not the right word, but, you know, like they found their stride. Right. This is them being comfortable, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. So this is the so it's the third season. Uh, so in the the arc of the show as it was broadcast, the audience for the show dropped off fairly sharply during the second season. Okay. But then it stayed at the level that it was at now through the rest of the series. Huh. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. So the theory was kind of like. Uh, uh, and this is, I'm kind of interpolating the, this information as laid out in our, our text, um, 30 years of the Rockford files. Yes. Where Ed Robertson kind of in between covering each season kind of talks about a little higher level kind of analysis of season to season change. What he kind of talks about in that, his theory is that the, you know, the first season was very exciting because James, uh, James Garner is a big star people were excited to see him they were excited to see jim rockford it was this very new kind of feeling show uh during the second season that's when they started writing jim as a little less not intelligent but a little more the butt of the joke in a lot of the episodes which we've talked about a little bit before yeah he's not imperfect he's imperfect not perfect and he's never perfect but it's kind of i think the the distinction to get at is that in the first season, he's kind of always the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Um, while in the second season, he starts to be have the wool pulled over his eyes more. Mm-hmm. And so there's one theory that that made him a less compelling character. And people didn't like to see that as much. Uh, I'm not sure if that's 100% true. Uh, if it is true, people are dumb. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of the second uh, season episodes taken on their own stand alone very well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's just also an aspect of it wasn't new and shiny anymore, right? 
But unlike a lot of shows where they kind of decline over the, their entire run, it did hit this level level off point with its audience, where like the people who were still watching by the third season seem to stick around for the rest of the show, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is actually like that's a thing that um, like I, I don't know I don't know the inside baseball to how network television works nowadays, but from what I've read and understand. <laughs> Finding your uh, audience is not enough to keep you on television. Right. Uh, you need to either have a constantly growing audience or just have a massive audience. And it's, I feel like there's a lot that gets tossed away because it could find its audience and be good enough. I, like, I don't, I don't know the mathematics. I don't know what's, um, you know, how much a show costs compared to how much it can bring in. Right. But I do feel like some things get, Chopped because of uh, not a money resource, but a time resource, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, 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 we can only fill these slots with so many shows and this show has stopped growing. So right. let's fill it with something. Sort of the, the, when you go through uh, a decaying downtown and you <laughs> see empty buildings that are for lease and you wonder, obviously businesses that, that could have worked there don't because mm-hmm. the rent is too high. Why, why are they charging? So, like, right. how do people make money with uh, empty slots? I don't know what I'm saying. I'm on a tangent here that makes no. no sense. I mean, I think that seems fairly accurate. I mean, and also things the, the the context is so different because of all the streaming channels and yeah. how their business model is different from the traditional ad supported broadcast model. So, like, Netflix has these shows that like yeah. I only hear of when they are canceled after two seasons or whatever. And all their fans are like, this show was great. It was knocking it out of the park. And the little information we have shows that it was as popular now as it was when it first debuted. Why is it getting canceled? And it's like, nobody knows. Only Netflix knows. <laughs> with with Netflix, I think the with the caveat that I am no expert and I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you subscribe to Netflix, you generally don't unsubscribe. Right. Right. So... This incentivizes Netflix to constantly try new shows to bring in new audiences Mm -hmm. and then dump them after a season or two because you're not going to lose the audience. Right. So you you would invest your resources in another new show in the hopes of bringing in more audience. Like so it's got that weird feedback loop where we're paying a subscription rate by default. Like we've already worked that into our own personal budgets. Mm -hmm. We don't think about it. It's not like we're paying per episode or anything like that. Once you've got them, you got them. There's no need to keep creating the same content that keeps them because they'll they'll watch any old thing that's on Netflix after that. And uh, that model, he says, making a gesture that the audience can't hear. <laughs> We've now reached the limit of our uh, insight into streaming yeah. business models. As game designers, when we talk about incentives and Perverse yeah. incentives. That's, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> one, one example. Uh, to quickly make a similar point with the rent thing, cause that happens mm-hmm. all over the place in Chicago, of course. And what I learned that there is a reason for that. And the reason is that, uh, if a landlord has a property that is not being rented, they write off yes. its value that they set. And I don't know if it's a percentage or if it's the whole amount, cause I'm not in that world, but, if they sent the rent rent at $10,000 a month, they get to write yeah. off $10,000 a month off their taxes. So it's more valuable to them 
to have that empty property at a high rent than to have someone pay less rent and occupy yeah. it. Oh, and I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty standard, um, at least in most big cities. And it's infuriating because there's these neighborhoods where there's businesses that I go to, and then they close, and then there's a for rent sign there for years, and it's like, yeah. really? But yeah. Speaking of real estate, that brings us all yes. the way back to our <laughs> <Here> episode. We, <laughs> we did it, um, dear listener. Sorry, we lost you there. <laughs> Right. So this uh, episode, so the the Indian Head River is referring to a piece of real estate, uh, mm-hmm. as we will get into. This one is directed by Lawrence Doney, who we have seen many times on our show, including some of our favorites from the early seasons, like um, Chicken Little is a Little Chicken and yeah. uh, etc. This is the second to last of his 12 directorial uh rockfords so we'll 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 miss him i'm sure this one in particular has a couple like subtle but really great shots and stuff um yeah as i now recognize these directors as they come up i'm I'm, i get the warm feeling i'm like oh i like him right (laughs) (laughs) uh and this one is is written by uh by stephen cannell so it has the all the hallmarks of the core rockford dynamics there's bureaucracy there's (laughs) byzantine tax schemes but there's also action and the mob this is good uh this fills up your bingo card mm-hmm. yeah if you're playing yeah yeah 200 day bingo yeah. you're running the board <laughs> yeah and i would say it also has a pretty intriguing preview montage this uh preview montage has a delicious angel sandwich <laughs> <laughs> it starts with an angel quote ends on an angel quote and they're both amazing just out of context like, I, I would have done an entire episode on these two quotes. Uh, the first one is, now who would want to kill me? Angel mm-hmm. asking. Which, as we'll find out, the answer to that question is not just, like, what we're investigating in this episode, because we're not, we know. But, like, the fact that there are so many answers to that question <laughs> is vital to this. Uh, and then it ends with him going, come on, cops! <laughs> Brilliant. That's great. And the only other note I have in here is, and I honestly don't even remember what was in the preview montage that made me write this in, uh, but I said, oh, can't wait to see Rocky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's been a while since we've seen Rocky, uh, but maybe it's because the last episode we recorded was one of the movies, and that uh, always makes me sad because you feel the absence of Rocky. Thanks for listening to 200 Today. We have some news. In addition to this podcast, we're launching Plus Expenses, which is all the stuff we talk about that isn't the Rockford Files. We talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. Plus Expenses is a new feature for our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. The main show will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just a dollar an episode. As always, each episode, we also extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Kevin Lovecraft, hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, over at misdirectedmark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Dave P., Brian Pereira, and Dale Church. And finally, big thanks, as always, to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter, at Richard Haddam. 
Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it, and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Well, we start this episode at Chez Michel, uh, <laughs> clearly a fancy restaurant. Jim Rockford is uh, leaving the restaurant with a friend of his by the name of David. We we eventually learn that this is David Marcone. Uh, they, they've enjoyed a friendly lunch. They have repartee here, which is basically establishing that they are that they are friends um, and they know each other. Uh, and it is a little vague what David's deal is, but he clearly implies that he's you know part of the mafia. Yeah. He says that he's upwardly mobile because <laughs> he's related uh, to the business uh, or whatever. Um, and he's apparently been working on some book, which is what Jim has been uh, helping him with. But Jim also passes him some cash as a thank you for getting some kind of some some operator off of his back uh, in some fashion. The uh, There's a, a bit in here that is clearly I think it's a bit. <laughs> he he does like an Italian thing, hmm. like a, a, a Rockford mob stereotype Italian thing that I think is meant to be him pretending to be an Italian stereotype. You know what I mean? Like uh, like it's him taking a piss out of himself, yes, right? Yeah, like, playing yeah. into the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like at first, I was like, wait, wow, this is a little broad even for rockford and then mm-hmm. i was like oh no it isn't okay good yeah all right before they split jim asks if he's seen angel uh he hasn't seen him around recently it's been about three months in fact and david says oh wait you didn't hear he died what when tomorrow wednesday at the latest this is an amazing hook for this story like mm-hmm. I, okay so this is the the first thing i want to talk about um you know, it's it's important to to snag your audience, whatever your audience mm-hmm. is, and it's important to do that as quickly as possible so they'll stick through for the rest. And I, I mean, obviously, the preview montage is supposed to serve some of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to like, oh, we got this coming up. Okay, I'll sit and watch this. I'm flipping through the channels and I see this and I want to. But this moment here, <laughs> just the way it's delivered, it's so cold and it just immediately sets up what it is that Rockford has to do now. Mm -hmm. It is dropped right in his lap. uh, And you, you don't envy Rockford. You don't envy angel. Like, I don't know. There's just something about this thing, the way it was done, where this guy just makes a joke Mm -hmm. about the fact that he knows that there's a contract out on angel. And then that's it. Like, and then walks away. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's it's a very clear call to action, right? Yeah. Now let's see what Jim does. David Marcone is played by Vincent Baguetta, uh, who we saw in Hotel of Fear. I noticed, like, I know this guy. Yeah, he played a character named Murray, who, if I remember right, is one of the one of the guys that hires the hitman that yeah. Angel sees. Uh, so the plot of that one, Angel sees a hitman kill a woman, and then he's a witness and. They can't really protect him, and then the hitman is coming after after Angel. Um, he has really piercing eyes; they're very yeah. memorable. Um, I'm looking through his IMDb, and uh, there's nothing where I'm going to go. Oh, it's the guy from that. Uh, but I've clearly seen him play characters all throughout my youth. <laughs> yeah, lots of crime and 
cop shows. Yeah. He's got he's got that look. I think that's true of most of our yeah. supporting <laughs> cast in this one. Jim goes to find Angel at his last known address, uh, where there's a bit where his uh, all of his stuff is spread out on the sidewalk, and the guy who, I don't know, owns the building? I don't know. Uh, is selling it all on consignment, since Angel's <laughs> moved up to a penthouse somewhere. Business hasn't been too good, but he finally has a couple of buyers looking at stuff, and Jim looks at them and looks at him and says that uh, those aren't buyers, those are cops. <laughs> if I were you, I would give some serious thought to the idea that some of the stuff might be stolen. Yes. Which now kicks off a classic three-beat gag um, <laughs> through over the next couple of scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, we uh, cut to this penthouse, which is full of movers and un- boxes getting unpacked and Angel uh, having a discussion with a decorator wearing <laughs> a very fancy red coat and in pure uh, hog heaven uh as he apparently has yes. somehow made it to the big time our introduction into this is uh falling angel a little bit as he's kind of glad handing people and yelling at them about moving stuff jim arrives i don't remember if he interacts with her but we also get this kind mm-hmm. of establishing shot of um of a of a woman on a phone uh eventually we learn that her name's dolores this is important later She's clearly having a, a conversation. She would like a different job. That is what's happening. Uh, well, and she specifically says that there, it's a trick she's not going to turn or a trick she's yes. not going to take or something yeah. like that. So she is, uh, as as they say later in the episode, a working girl. Mm-hmm. And and I think specifically says something about an aluminum siding salesman or something <laughs> that she would rather. She has standards. Yeah. Angel kind of tries to pass Jim off uh, once Jim tracks him down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he uh, tries to kind of uh, uh, not let him get a word in edri- edgewise as he has a quick interaction with uh, his partner, Brad Sherlett, uh, mm-hmm. where they're calling each other babe and saying how great everything is. A lot of this, so a lot of the dialogue here is kind of like, kind of jokes, kind of establishing the relationships I say this every time we get Angel in the room with Jim, but uh, it's it's a delight to watch and to see how uh, James Gardner reacts to what Angel is doing and and how they play off of each other. Because mm-hmm. it's it's not that Jim snaps to and starts playing along with Angel, but he does to some extent. Like he plays along, but he also lets Angel know that he's not into playing along with this or he yeah. kind of is giving angel a little bit of space because clearly he has something going on yeah yeah and jim's intent here is to warn angel about this threat on his life but in order to get angel's attention he has to start like snapping at him yeah uh, <laughs> and and angel at this at one point turns and goes don't talk to me like that yeah <laughs> not in front of the help at least yeah it's like angelo call me angelo or babe. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I should be referring to him as Angelo. So we we have this quick meeting with with this guy Brad, uh, who we don't see again, but is important for our story that we kind of know that he exists. Once Brad leaves, Jim insists on on taking Angel uh, away to talk to him about this very serious threat on his life. Um, he says that they can go to lunch again. References some fancy place that they're going to go. And as they get into the elevator, they pass the pair of cops mm-hmm. uh, from the consignment sale 
with uh, Angel's old toaster coming into the penthouse as they leave. So uh, a fun bit, uh, well, the cop thing is a good bit. Um, you know, Angel's like, hey, that looks like my old toaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's good. There's there's a, some stuff that Angel's doing here about his his materialism, I guess is the mm-hmm. way to put it. Like, he is obsessing about an elevator. Right. He, like, he wants the elevator, and yeah. Brad is like, we, not, we might not be able to do the elevator. And then Angel complains to Jim about how he <laughs> deserves the elevator. He's seen this other elevator somewhere where, like, it lights up in neon and has a fish tank. And there's another ongoing gag that'll come up. Uh, like, I think they hit it twice or whatever, but it's fun. Uh, and we're about to see it. But I, I just, like, I like that Angel has picked specific signifiers of status right. that he he feels he deserves and he wants to have. Angel's the, was what is it they say, uh, the poor man's idea of what a rich man looks like? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. he's all about these signifiers. His outfits say it. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We should... <laughs> like he wears it's like this red silk smoking jacket with designs on it and these like pinstripe pants and big lapels always big lapels on on angel yes yeah it's great and like a scarf mm-hmm. they do go to this uh, restaurant it's this kind of fancy outdoor dining thing uh there, there there's the information in the scene and then there's the business in this scene yeah and yeah. these happen simultaneously but i'm gonna address them separately so jim tells angel that david you know said this thing angel's saying that david's just jealous since he's hit the big time and he gets so excited about how he's finally hit it this time yeah (laughs) and we see that this is not it's a little subtle just in the sense of you probably need to be like us and have watched a bunch of angel but there's a difference between angel is involved with a con job and faking being rich as part of the con versus angel genuinely thinks he made it yes and this is he genuinely thinks he made it he practically describes to you exactly how he gets conned right yeah like being jealous of people who hit the big time yeah yeah it talks about having a secret hidden real estate brain yeah i didn't know i was this talented like well because you probably aren't Angel. (laughs) so right so the deal is that this guy brad met him Vaguely, somehow. Uh, yeah. Jim Jim says, so he just plucked you out of a bar, which sounds about <laughs> right. Um, and that uh, he has this ri- he has this hidden talent for real estate, and now he's 60% owner of the Indian Head River Land Development Company. I mean, this is all way smoother in how Angel says it, right? But he says that the, the people that David reports to report to him and Brad. So yeah. that's not <laughs> a problem, right? Like, yeah. That's, uh, he's... Again, just jealous and trying to cause trouble. Yeah, D- David answers to the guys who call his partner's boss. Mm-hmm. During all of this, he uh, he gets... So Jim does not appear to have any food. Angel receives a plate of escargot, um, which... Okay, I have never yeah. eaten snails, and I do not particularly want to. Right. But I... Uh, uh, I, I am bougie enough to understand the signifier <laughs> of when Angel picks up this like weird tong fork thingy and starts yeah. trying to pry into the snail and is having trouble <laughs> that he is not using the tools correctly 
for eating his fancy man's lunch, right? And then there's a bit later where Jim gets fed up with his fumbling, reaches over, and correctly positions the snail in the little tong and yeah. uses a separate fork to get it out. Um, and Angel looks kind of puzzled and then appreciative. There's interesting things to read into this about, I mean, like, because you've got your your unifying theory of detectives and food. Right. So my previous exposure to Escargot is in a Columbo episode where oh. it's the episode that is uh, where the murderer is a chess master and he and his rival have a out of uh, out of the public view meeting at a Italian restaurant and his uh, his rival um, eats snails. And that's part of that's a plot point uh, about the butter from the, the snails. Anyway, uh, uh, so I associate snails right. with detective fiction. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> to, I guess to kind of uh, contextualize this a bit, because I think that's the, the very clear message being sent here is that Angel doesn't Angel thinks he's elite, but he doesn't. Right. Doesn't really actually understand the trappings and, and like he, he doesn't know how to eat the food that he's ordered. He just yeah. ordered it because it's what a rich person orders. Yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like I grew up in um in Ohio. Uh I don't know why Ohio matters, but I'm just gonna say it. I grew up <laughs> in Ohio. Uh in a fairly rural area. Like we we uh, our neighborhood was uh I guess would be called suburban, but it was surrounded by farms and um my upbringing wasn't wealthy like i you know we we were we uh ate out of our own garden quite a bit you know mm-hmm. all that uh not because it was a fun hobby but because that's how you get uh, a young family like the one that my parents had um throughout through the year uh but i do remember us having one of those uh escargot tongs right not not the not the fork but the thing that holds the shells mm-hmm. right I can I can see it because you know when you're a kid you play in in the mm-hmm. utensil drawers and you bang pots and pans out I I can vividly recall this thing and holding it and trying to figure out what it is and what it does right like my parents as far as I know never ate escargot we never had it at home like I, mm-hmm. I think there's like we were just talking about uh, butter knives and cheese <laughs> knives and and just like that sort of uh, bullshit accoutrement right. I think in the seventies. That was definitely a thing you would be sold. Mm-hmm. If you're going to entertain people, then you should have something to eat the escargot with, even though you'll never ever serve escargot. I'm, yeah, I'm imagining it's it's, it's part of the aspirational yeah. uh, uh, class consciousness, right? Like, I want to be the kind of person that has all the specialized tools for all yeah. the specialized <laughs> foods, um, and so they will all come in a kit that I can buy, or and, they will be a gift at my wedding, right? Y- yeah, yeah. All right, I want to point out one other thing about this scene. Yeah. Uh, as much as uh, we, uh, our audience clearly <laughs> enjoys the fact <laughs> that we are going on these tangents, I think it's important to, to call out the phone business. Yes, that was another note I had. <laughs> this is part of the other signifier for Angel that yeah. he has made it is that no matter where he is, he can get a telephone in the yes. bathroom, in the den, in the car, whatever, right? He's like, he's mimicking the gesture he would have to make to call for like he's like you know just snaps in the air it's like i just have to do this to get a phone i don't remember if that's his exact wording but he does it seems to me that he's just pantomiming what he would have to do to get a phone <laughs> uh-huh. uh accidentally gets the waiter's attention runs with it demands a phone 
And the waiter says, oh, I'm sorry. There's no phone jack at this table. And he is so crestfallen. Yeah. It's, oh. <laughs> He's immediately punctured. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the cap on this scene, which, which actually ends the scene, which drives them away from lunch, is that Jim looks over and sees uh, that the cops with the yes. toaster <laughs> have found them again. <laughs> and they scramble away in the opposite direction. I think with Angel saying, like, put this on my tab or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Angel... Angel's paying for things. Like, right. I've been watching this, and he's throwing money around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, made the big time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we end that scene uh, kind of in still in the... This is a very uh, we-know-things-when-Jim-knows-them yeah. episode. There's a little... That diverges a little bit, but in terms of, like, the mystery, we actually yeah. are are never ahead of, of Jim. Um, so, I think we leave this in the same state that he is, which is, this seems weird... Angel is in something, right. but I don't know what the shape of it is. Right. It involves both the cops and a contract on his life. Typical Angel. Uh, in our next scene, Jim is home at the trailer and receives a desperate phone call from David. Uh, he's been trying to reach him all afternoon. And he says, when we talked at lunch, we did not talk about Angel. We did not talk about that hit. <laughs> uh, I need you to cover for me on this. <laughs> so... That seems odd. Yeah. We've talked about horses, Ferraris, and girls. Uh, Jim, of course, calls to talk to Angel. It, the phone is answered by uh, Dolores. He has to leave a message, and she says, I don't take messages, honey. <laughs> uh, poor Dolores. So he goes there, and before he can uh, even enter the penthouse, two goons are there waiting for him. They pat him down and take him back downstairs in the elevator. This elevator's going down. Yeah. So uh, they then take Jim to the golf course um, <laughs> to talk to Dominic Marcone. They're like, you play golf, Rockford? I play anything you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of little like voiceovers during transitions. Um, yeah. A lot of them get these little jokes in. Yeah. One or two are necessary for like establishing time and stuff. But this one in particular is like, oh, yeah, that joke should be in there somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Jim is brought to talk to Dominic Marcone, who is David's uncle. Mm-hmm. Dom, uh, as he's referred to through most of the episode, is played by Robert Loggia. Oh, yeah. This is the first of his three Rockford Files appearances, and the first time that we've seen him, uh, I believe. He also was probably on every cop and crime yeah. show uh, <laughs> during your childhood. I mean, he is still working. Uh, he has yeah. current credits. But uh, he was on a Columbo. He was on Murder She Wrote. He was re- had a recurring character on Magnum PI. Recurring Sopranos credit, which I wonder if he came to the attention of David Chase at this time. Oh, yeah. As this is when sure. David Chase started uh, being involved with the show. Uh, anyway, great, uh, great mob actor. Yeah, yes. He has that real sense of like menace that you want in your in your mob boss. It really doesn't matter what position he's in you feel the menace like he's just playing a game of golf Mm -hmm. right and you're he doesn't have to like tower over jim or anything like that it's just there and a lot of it and this is kind of part of the scene construction a lot of how we know that he's a big deal is that everyone like just does what he wants Mm-hmm. Right, like he just has to make these very not not subtle, but like just these very straightforward. Like, hey, why don't you drop this round? I'm going to have you know, I'm going to have Rockford play with me, and the guy yeah. just like 
drops everything and leaves. And, you know, every time he makes like a motion, his guys are there to do what he wants. Yeah. We see his power through how everyone around him react to him. Yeah. Uh, we have a nice little gag where, um, when Jim takes his first swing, where like everyone stops and just stares at him. Yes. Uh, James Garner and his brother, um, Jack, were both golfers. In his memoir, uh, Garner talks about many <laughs> golf encounters that he had. Uh, he'd be in like celebrity golf tournaments and stuff like that. Uh, but his brother Jack was actually, I think, I don't know if he was like a pro, but he was kind of a professional amateur. There's some term mm-hmm. for it where it's like he wasn't a full time professional golfer, but at golfing events, he would be a pair for a celebrity, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a fun gig. Yeah, uh, Jack Garner, not in this episode, but has has bits on many uh, uh, yeah episodes. Uh, this scene. So one of the fun things about this scene is uh and you know good old broken record epi here i'm going to talk about status um it's watching this mob boss like you were saying he 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 snaps his fingers and people jump he will say one thing and do the other and just kind of defy you to correct him Mm -hmm. like when he has jim take his shot he first of all tells jim like if you have never golfed this course, this is you want to go over here. You'll pick up a, a stroke if you shoot it off in this direction. And then we find out that that direction is right towards a water trap. Like I don't know much about golf, but it's you know enough to 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 know that he's led Jim astray, right? Probably on purpose. Uh, when Jim goes up to take his first stroke, he waits until Jim pulls his club back and then talks, yeah, to disrupt him. Uh, and is kind of waiting for Jim to call him on it. Mm-hmm. He's doing all of these things that are uh, you wouldn't do because they're rude. Mm-hmm. But he's pretending they're not. As sort of just saying, I, I f- dare you to tell yeah. me I'm rude. It's very much a uh, uh, veneer of civility. Yeah. I know how this game is played. Not the game of golf, but the this status game. Do you? I'm going to give you all these opportunities to like be to be rude or be gauche or call yeah. me out on this behavior. But Jim also knows those rules and uh, uh, will go along with it until he doesn't. Because uh, he he picks his spot, right? He waits yeah. until the right moment to break that the the social rule and reveal that he's not going to just toady to this guy. Part of what makes this scene and these sorts of scenes in the Rockford Files work because I love whenever Jim has to. Uh, go toe-to-toe with a mob boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jim can't reveal without hurting his friends like what this guy's trying to get Jim to reveal. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that this this guy is threatening Jim. One of Jim's survival techniques in here, say in, in contrast to, say, Angel, who would, would absolutely tell him... Oh, yeah, would just spill immediately. ...is that Jim is looking for those moments when he can put up enough resistance so that this guy doesn't think he has complete control of the situation mm-hmm. i think that's great uh, like i think it's well done very well done here mm-hmm. to have this like um having these two kind of stand off against each other throughout this scene it's a hidden information game right so here's what happens uh dom says that you know uh, david is coming up in the world and now he's at a point where they need to give him a full examination and make sure that they can trust him this is all about trust he wants to know everything that Jim and David talked about at lunch. 
because he talked to David about it, and he just wants to hear hear it from Jim's mouth and see if it matches what David said. Yeah. So Jim tells him all the things they talked about, uh, including the you know the the horses and the race cars and whatnot. And then Dom says, "All right, and what about the other thing, the big thing?" And Jim says that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So in this interplay of the back and forth, there's a real question of, is Jim reading this as a ploy? Like, is this a ploy because uh, Dom knows that there's something mm-hmm. and needs to find out what it is? Or is this a test to see if Jim is going to lie just to please him? Right? Like, it could be either. Uh, and And it's pretty straightforward about which it is as as we get to it but as a viewer watching the scene it's like all right how is jim going to play this yeah because jim could play it either way and you can see the story going forward right jim could do what he does here which is deny that they talked about anything else uh or he could say like you're asking me about the big thing because you know there isn't a big thing right like yeah. or or he could make up a different big thing or any of these other ways to, to deal with it. And that was a real dramatic tension to me to see what direction that was going to go. David told me the other thing you discussed, the big thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, you're holding out on me, Jim, and I don't like that. We're trusting each other. But when I trust a guy, I expect him to tell me the truth. If he doesn't, he's going to end up in a flower business. It's a soil additive. <laughs> That's good. I wonder if he's uh, also in the loop with our urban horticulturalist. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so here's where we get Jim's uh, uh, refusal to play mm-hmm. this game. He knows when he's being threatened. He doesn't like to be threatened. And they didn't talk about anything other than what they've already said. So this is all played out through... They're using the golf as yeah. kind of the parable for this, right? With with like trust and, oh, there's a water hazard here. and The segue that he's got where he's like, there's all kinds of water hazards in Los Angeles. Yeah, the, the ocean and the river and all the places I can bear. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dom says, "All right. Well, if he finds out that Jim's lying, he's going to have to settle the score." Uh, and then we get back to the golf where the, the other guys come up and are like, "Hey, here's our, you know, here's where we're all at." And uh, Jim yeah. says that like, "Well, he's going to take the penalty. He's only two instead of three or whatever." Mm-hmm. And so Dom says, uh, "All right. Well, you owe me forty bucks." <laughs> Yeah, he, he basically says, oh, well, this is this is how the rest of this hole is going to play out. So we're just going to assume it went this way mm. and that you lost the, the the bet. Right. He definitely just put that on Jim and, again, is daring Jim to deny him. And that's when Jim says that he, he knows when he's being threatened and he doesn't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so he doesn't, he doesn't immediately agree to that. They have a little more back and forth. And then yeah. when it comes back up with these other guys, he says... Yeah. You know, I've decided to take the penalty. Yeah. Right. But it's Jim's decision. It's not uh Dom's decision. And when they started this whole thing, it was like, Oh, we're playing for this much money per stroke and blah blah blah. Yeah. So because he's taking that penalty, he owes Dom forty bucks. Yes. And uh <laughs> says, I'll collect from you later. The, oh, and then there's a thing where it's like, Aren't we gonna play the next green? And it's like, No, we're going over here. And we end the uh the scene with Jim being taken by the goons, uh back to the car presumably and the goon says that they they always skip this these holes because they don't play next to the freeway someone could get shot yeah <laughs> so it's like oh but there there are pressures even on these uh even on such as um the marcone family uh jim goes home uh rocky is there unloading Yay, groceries yeah <laughs> he's upset uh rocky asks why we had a bad golf game 
Yes. <laughs> Jim mentions playing playing with mobsters or whatever, and Rocky gets to have his traditional oh. you you need to not be involved with these criminals lecture. Yeah. Which is always appreciated. If he keeps associating with those kind of people, their trouble is going to rub off on him. Um, Jim mentions Angel. Apparently Angel called Rocky because he appreciated the cabinetry that Rocky did in his own house. And he wanted him to make some frames for his fancy art that he that he has. And so Jim's like, no, do not go work for Angel. Do not yeah. get involved with Angel. And Rocky gets defensive about it, like kind of like, don't tell me what to do, right? This is a great line. I actually wrote this down because this is a line I'm going to steal and use in my life. Now, looky here. I don't mind the suggestion, but I'm fighting the tone. I am absolutely going to use that in my own life because it, it just comes up. It just comes up when mm -hmm. somebody tells you something that's perfectly sensible, but in a way where you're like, you could have done that better. But uh, the, the heart here is where Jim says, please don't get involved with Angel. He's in danger. Yeah. Please. And Rocky huffily drops it. <laughs> I don't like them old paintings much anyway. You know, they're all that funny stuff. The landscapes painted on velvet and naked girls on velvet and they change color in the light. No, it's the, it's the kind of stuff you get in a carnival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if that means that he he knows exactly what Angel has as art or yeah. if he's projecting what Angel would <laughs> yeah. have as art. I think it works either way. And we get a rare uh, Jim having a cigarette uh, while he says that. He doesn't know what's happening, but he, he'll figure it out. Yeah. So Jim uh, is trying to track down David. Uh, he sees him in an elevator with two goons. One of the goons is like, this is occupied. <laughs> you know, don't get in, chief, or something like that. David warns him off with his eyes. And uh, Jim runs downstairs uh, and manages to get the license number of the car that uh, David has taken away in. Which I don't think matters. Uh... That is a good question. I, I appreciate it as, like, this is what Jim would do. Right, right. But it's one of the rare kind of, like, here's a little piece that happens on camera that doesn't actually have a payoff. I've seen the episode, but so long ago, I don't remember how anything pans out. My notes are, David is lucky that Rockford sees him in this elevator, right? Like, right. Because I feel like this is David being taken off to be executed this right. is why david's like warning uh rockford off uh but then i'm like i go back on those notes because it looks like jim is doing stuff to help david right and maybe he is maybe he's preparing to call the cops to say that there's somebody's life is in danger they're in a car and here's the license plate for the car or whatever uh and maybe that gets diverted but what happens next isn't that david's getting executed it's that right. something well we'll get into it but like it just it, it it definitely confused me because i was like oh wait a minute jim's not jumping anyone here to save his friend david this is not a no problem with the episode but just going through it now yeah i'm like, realizing that this is i maybe it's just a piece of physical business and or maybe there was some other scene that they cut in editing or something where yeah. this mattered um, the important thing is that David is brought to see Uncle Dom in the fancy house. Yes. <laughs> this is straight up a tribute to mob cinema scene, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Or a prototype for mob cinema scene. It's essentially a soliloquy from Dom about how he's treated David so well 
Right. How you really know someone is is what they do when things start going wrong, and that it's time for him to earn what he's been getting for free, and all this uh, kind of vaguely threatening, we're going to involve you in some serious business now if you can handle it yes. framing, right? Yeah. And I like how specific this gets. So, did you tell Rockford about this hit on Angel? And David says, no, of course not. But Angel told his partner Brad that he yes. heard this rumor Brad is in business with Dom. Which we know. Well, I think which is implied earlier and which we know now through this conversation. Oh, through, yeah, yeah. Through this reference. Right. Yeah. Angel told Brad that he heard the rumor from Rockford. So this is very specific, right? Mm -hmm. David denies it, says that Angel has a, there's a whole lot of people who could be out for Angel. Who knows where this rumor came from or who talked to Rockford, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is fair. Yep. But here's the thing. Dom's been setting this deal up for two years. There's $5 million involved, and yes. Angel is the perfect dodo. Wait, we did it. We have justified me bringing up the inflation calculator. <laughs> so we're talking about $22 million. Yeah, this is a big a big deal. In fact, $22.5 million, honestly. If we're being honest about it. As he says, if this pigeon flies, it'll be a disaster. Mm -hmm. Despite his denials, Dom does think that David told Rockford, so he's going to give him this this chance to to prove himself, and he wants David personally to kill Angel. And if he doesn't, he's going to lose everything. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the Information Superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the Worldwide Wrestling, Pro Wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right. Well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. David, who had been living a life of luxury, a life of privilege from the criminal background of his family, this is his arc. Right. He has to... He has to make good for everything that his family has done for him. Yes, exactly. Dom's father, so David's grandfather, uh, he killed a man for a vegetable cart, and that's what started their fortune. Yes. <laughs> so that's the, you know, that's the blood running in his veins, right? But, I mean, to be fair, there have been days where I kill a man for a vegetable cart, honestly. <laughs> Some of those real hungry days. <laughs> yes. This is a, uh, a speech for aspiring actors. Yes. Uh, a phrase I picked up from uh, some friends who do a, a, a B-movie podcast called Cinema Super Collider. They often talk about how a lot of these B-movies have these great soliloquies for young actors. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> Here's a character emoting. This is a good one from Dom where he yeah. he goes up and down the emotional range with his his disappointment in David lying to him, the regard in which he holds his his father, how much he loves his brother, David's David's father who's dead and he goes to the church to talk to him and like Yeah. There's a lot in here. My father. May he rest in peace. He killed a man in a dispute over a wheelbarrow full of vegetables. Your father and me! We killed to protect what he gave us! Okay. The uh, other important point at the end is that it's important that Angel and Jim don't go to the police, uh, right? Because that'll spoil the whole deal. Uh, but Dom says he's going to take care of the them going to the police part. But David needs to kill Angel within 10 hours. Oh, but he does take care of that part. He uh. sure does. As we cut to our good friend Dennis Becker in front of a couple police cars outside the, the building where Angel has his penthouse. Talking to this guy who's supposed to be keeping an eye on the place. He yeah. heard a disturbance. He heard Angel smacking a girl around. Uh, saw him and a tall, dark dark-haired fella run into the elevator. Uh, he ran down the stairs to get their license number. And got their license number, which I guess parallels what Jim did in the earlier scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, of course, that is uh, the license plate of the Firebird. Yeah. When he went back upstairs, he found the body of uh, the woman, Dolores, who was on yeah. the on the phone earlier. This is, this is I think, uh, uh, what... It's it's a regrettable moment in this episode, I think. Because, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how the Rockford Files... They go through the trouble of making every character a character. Mm-hmm. And they went through the trouble of making her a character uh, for just this, right? To right. run interference on the cops. Through being murdered. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have gone through the trouble of making her a character. It stands out when there's really... I mean, so Beth is in this episode. She comes in later. But yeah, that's just it. But that's essentially as the only female character in this episode, yeah. who is not a recurring character... And the only one we've seen up to this point in the episode. Yeah. It's not even motivating the plot, really. It's here's no. the device through which we will keep yeah. Jim and Angel from going to the... Like, here's how we will frame them. We will murder this woman. And it... Yeah. One of the things that... This is not by by any stretch the biggest of the sins here. But one of the things that kind of saddened me about this is that I wanted to see scenes with her and Angel. Yeah. She's an interesting, like, big yeah. character. We got her hanging up on Rockford, right? Yeah, yeah. And she doesn't like Angel. It would be, it would have been fun. Fun trivia fact. So the actress, uh, Rhonda Copland, uh, was not in very many things. And this is, in fact, the last of her 11 credits on IMDb. So not a, uh, yeah. you know, not, yeah. not a, a longtime professional. But, uh, there is a little bit of motivation here in terms of because she is murdered at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, justice yeah. is done. And so murder is one of the charges. Right. So there is a little bit of like that gravity does matter. Mm-hmm. They don't just go to jail for fraud. They also go to jail for murder. But that's a line wrapping up the story yeah. right it's yeah it yeah it's it's not great i feel like that could be less obvious yeah of a choice but but doesn't ruin the episode or anything no no uh but it did kind of stand out especially after our last couple of episodes where we've been kind of paying a lot of attention to 
characters' treatment of women in their lives. Yeah, exactly. In the yeah. show. Uh, this just seems like a... It wasn't thought through. An unexamined choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yes, uh, they are clearly being framed for this murder, and this cuts right to frantic knocking on Jim's trailer door. Obviously, it's Angel. Yes. He is starting <laughs> to see what's happening. Everything's starting to come together. Yes. I kind of like how it's it's left completely unstated how Angel found any of this out, which mm-hmm. is totally fine. Like, there's all yeah, kinds yeah. of different ways it could have happened. Uh, it's just like, oh, Angel, finally something tipped him off. Yes. Uh, but specifically, one thing that happened was that uh, some insurance guy called, didn't right. know who he was talking to, and started to talk like he was already dead. <laughs> and he realized that this this company has taken out all this life insurance on him. And now that he thinks about it, no one wants to ride in the car with him. Mm-hmm. His driver's always taking him places alone in the limo. And he's just talking a mile mile a minute. He's he's clearly scared. And Jim tries to get him settled down. He's like, I need to know the the facts. Like, what yeah. have you done? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, he's got a great line in here. Give him what he's wearing. I slipped into some rags and dove for cover, right? Like, and he's... And he's wearing the smoking jacket and the big white scarf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we hear the the squealing of tires outside. Jim turns off the light, grabs the gun out of the cookie jar, and sets up a quick diversion with Angel. He gives him the gun and says, All right, when I say, let me get my coat, you come out here firing. And Angel is like, guns are not my thing. Like, this is totally yeah, yeah. not... <laughs> This is a scene where I want to do a, like a, a a shallow deep dive, if I may. Okay. Uh, one of the things that we can learn from this scene that I love is how to escalate the tension without escalating the stakes, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Right now, the stakes are uh, Angel can be killed and Jim can probably be killed. And we know those stakes going into it. Maybe not the Jim bit, but, I, you know... You can reason that out. Like, killed or arrested. Like, kind yeah. of the implication from the way that it's cut from the scene where Dennis is yeah, is there right. is that th- these could be the cops. Yeah. So, what happens here to escalate the tension without touching those stakes? We leave those stakes as they are. We don't have to, like, ratchet it up so that all of Los Angeles requires this to be resolved. And if not Los Angeles, then the United States. And if not the United States, the world, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. First, we see as longtime viewers of the Rockford Files, we see Jim go for the cookie jar. And that is immediately an escalation because we know there's a gun. And that is very specifically like the way that's shot. I think if I remember right, it's a top down shot. Yes. So we see the gun in the jar very specifically. And then we see his hand go in and get it out. It is like, this gun is now in play. As longtime viewers, we know that Jim doesn't go to the gun whenever he has to or whenever any problem. Like he needs a reason for the gun, right? Like it's not uh, a solution to all of his problems. Mm. But I think it's very clear in this scene that that's also the case. You don't hide a gun in the cookie jar uh, if that's your number one tool for solving a problem, right? So, And that also kind of tells us that's probably not the cops. Because he looked yes. out his window and then yeah, turns yeah. off the light. And he's not going to shoot at the cops. So uh, what is happening in the back of your brain is that you're running the odds of something dangerous happening, right? And the fact that the gun is going to be used jumps those odds up. Then Jim offers the gun to Angelo and those <laughs> odds <laughs> skyrocket, right? Like you're like, Oh my God. And the way the angel reacts to it and has to be convinced to use it 
Jim's like, you don't have to hit anything. Like, we're just looking for the distraction. Don't try to hit anything. Just come out shooting. Again, the stakes have not changed. It's just the odds of something bad happening keep going up with every step of this. Yeah, well, there is now a, a more chaotic array of possibilities. Yes. The spread of what could happen just just expanded to include all kinds of weirdness. Yeah, yeah. they're the same stakes, but they, they can be come at from different branches of the story, right? Like, Jim could be shot by Angel or, you know, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then, then Jim grabs a roll of quarters... That's yes. just like sitting like on the on the on the kitchen table, so that he has something in his hand. He has a little yes. a little trick up his sleeve, which I love. Then David comes in, and it's David makes it clear now that the stakes involve Jim. You may look at this as altering the stakes, as increasing them a little bit. But what I'm encouraging our listeners to do is to actually look at this as by making these stakes clear. It makes the fact that something has to happen more concrete, mm-hmm. right? If Jim doesn't know that he's in the that he's in the offering, then he might search for some other solution other than to call Angel in with right. the gunfire, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is backing us into this corner again. Then David pulls a gun, and again we're like, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> like what is <laughs> right? So now there's two guns in play, and, and I'm not going to say that this is like brilliant filmmaking or anything like that. But it is well-crafted, right? Like, it just takes you beat by beat up that ladder to this point. And then what it does when it gets you there is wonderful because it fulfills the promise, which never had anything to do with the guns at all and had to do with the fact that Angel is Angel. Right. Uh, So David, he, he wants to know where Angel is. Jim denies knowing where he is, obviously. Yeah. That's when he pulls the gun and he says straight out, look, I'm sorry. But I have to kill Angel, and you have to take the gaff. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, but that's just the way it is. Jim has this moment where he's like, you're not really a killer. Like, come on. Right? He he tries to diffuse it a little bit. Yeah. And David has this great response of like, well, I guess we'll find out. Like, he doesn't even know if he can do it yet. He's got a bit of the thousand-yard stare. Like, he he's also cornered, right? Like, yeah. he doesn't... Yeah. And so he's like, all right, let's go. And so Jim's like, okay. Let me just get my coat. And there's a beat. And he's like, come on. And now because Jim is like not doing what he wants, he's getting more agitated. Let me get my coat. You won't need one. Let me get my coat. I said, forget it. Let's go. (laughs) Silence from, you know, the bedroom. (laughs) So Jim goes with him. But then as uh, David's backing out the doorway, he has an opportunity to grab his hand, push his arm out of the way, and sucker punch him with his hand with the roll of quarters, <laughs> which I refer to in my notes as sucker punches him out of the doorway. Yes. Slams the door, runs back, opens the door, and that's when Angel is starting to come through with the gun, and he grabs the gun from Angel. Yes. Oh. There is an exchange of fire because David comes back in. Mm-hmm. Here's where, where the, the stakes, you know, are. Yeah, somebody can get hurt. Where, where we find out exactly how high they are. As it turns out, Arc Danger Fire does not injure anyone, uh, and David uh, runs away. <laughs> I also would not want to face a wrathful Jim Rockford with a gun. I mean, like, especially from David's point of view, 
I think he probably has the assumption that Jim has used a gun on someone. We uh, transition into the back half of our episode through a uh, voiceover of the police radio call, calling in the descriptions of Jim yeah. and Angel. And we see squad cars put their lights on and start uh, moving around. So the APB is out for, for our heroes. We then go to Jim and Angel, Angelo. Uh, pulling into a gas station somewhere mm-hmm. it seems fairly rural. They are not in the city at this point. Jim wants to know where this land is to figure out what's going on. Like, I want to see what you what you're in charge of. Angel says that the thing about real estate is you don't actually need to see the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and he keeps up all this patter about what a great real estate brain he has. There's things that Jim wouldn't understand not being in the real estate business, like interest and yeah. cash flow, <laughs> which I posit are 100% things that Jim understands. Yes. <laughs> Not only does he understand, but he's, yeah, this is a uh, part and parcel of his own personal business. Uh, while they're getting full service on the car, which Angel calls uh, for, uh, they go up to the uh, takeaway window. Angel gets a small jalapeno pizza, and Jim gets a Coke. Oh, Angel and his spicy foods. He loves his spicy foods. Um, and so Jim... With with much effort, pulls the story out yes. of Angel. Angel hooked up with Brad. Uh, it's kind of vague about how that happened. Yeah, but um, Brad knew about this uh, development that Dom, uh, Dominic Marcone, and Tony Cristiani, uh, who obviously is another mob guy. Yeah, <laughs> um, they have a a development. That is counting on water from the Indian Head River. But Brad and now Angel have the option on some farmhouse that actually would connect them to the river. And they didn't know that the state is going to dam the river. And so Mm -hmm. in order to get the water that they need for this development property to happen, they needed to come to Angel. They needed to come to Angelo. Yes. Uh, And as he says, he shook them down for half the deal to buy this farmhouse and they brought him in as a partner on the whole deal. Uh, cash flow just comes to me immediately. <laughs> this is yeah. Where he starts angel splaining. Right. Cash flow. He angel splains. And then Jim's like, Oh, I don't know about all that, but are you familiar with the term Mark? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and angels explanation or his justification, at least is like, how can he be the Mark on this? He's coming out ahead. He didn't have anything. Now he has everything. He's the one making the money. So where's the scam, (laughs) right? And Jim agrees. It is weird. And I think we're with him, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly, something's happening. Clearly, the whole point of this is to kill Angel. Like, that that activates whatever this scheme is. But we don't know what that is exactly still. Angel pays uh, for the gas and the food. As we noted earlier, uncharacteristically feeling flush still. Yes. And uh, Jim's like, this is your deal. Why can't you give me directions? Like I said, I've never seen it. And he has this whole thing about how every time he's going to come out and see it, they stop at the downs because his driver likes to throw down yeah. some money on the horses. And then that whole day just just vanishes. Um, so he's never actually seen it. But he's seen pictures. There's also a bit in here, again, about telephones. In my notes, I just have, again, with the telephones, I don't actually remember what the bit is. But I, he goes off on it again, like how he could have a telephone, like, everywhere, or yeah. anywhere. Like, this is his his thing. We end with a all-time great Angel line. Angelo's got the water, and when you got the wah-wah, you got the deal. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, so we have a, a couple jokes in the cut here. So first, uh, you know, we end on uh, when you got the Wawa, you got the deal. And then we cut to a yes. lawn sprinkler spraying bounteous amounts of water over a, a, a lush green lawn uh, outside of a Indian Head Land Development Incorporated sign. That lawn is right up on a river or a lake. The camera follows Jim and Angel as they walk over and then discovers the river yeah. behind them. And Angel's like, this can't be. If they have the water, what about Angelo? <laughs> I have the water. Yes. <laughs> and he said, this should all be desert. I've seen pictures. Yeah. Like, why would they cut me into the deal if they already have water? Ah, well, that is the question, isn't it? So Jim's like, well, let's go see this farm that you bought, uh, which uh, was like Miller's farm. Haha, <laughs> what a stupid name. I've renamed it Rancho Angelo. <laughs> and so on his, the, the way that he's naming it with all of this, uh, imbuing it with all of this gravitas. Yeah. Uh, we have this joke in the cut where we go to seeing this barren field with a broken down barn in the middle of it. Jim and Angel are outside. He's like, you know, this is a dump. <laughs> this is what I bought? Clearly, it's a, a pig in the poke, right? He's not. He has not gotten what he thought he was getting. So Jim's like, all right, I still don't know what's going on, but we should go to the cops. Epi, what are the chances that Angel wants to go to the cops at this yes. point? <laughs> I think they're pretty high. I think Angel <laughs> has a fine opinion of the cops i think he yeah uh clearly whatever fate angel befalls angel it won't uh involve him turning himself into the cops just yet yeah and his argument which makes a certain amount of of sense coming from the the the, the mindset of angel is that uh if he's if he's in on some kind of racket and they go to the cops mm -hmm. then they're then he's going to be implicated and they're going to find him guilty of something he didn't even do <laughs> that's not good for anyone uh jim would rather see angel take his chances on conspiracy and fraud than jim take his chances on getting killed yes that's jim always thinking about himself <laughs> uh, he can take he can handle david and the mob um but nobody cares about angelo um and so we cut from that to the zoomed in newspaper headline to sought for murder of los angeles woman uh and they start kind of reading the story simultaneously. So they're at like another, like a truck stop or something. And they pick up the paper off of the table and are horrified to see that this is uh, a headline. They kind of both read it simultaneously until Jim yes. like snaps at him. So that we, <laughs> we just hear Jim reading it, which is a great touch. Um, I have long thought that this is the, this is the low point of the Jim Angel relation. This is where Jim yeah. gets the closest to just piecing out and never talking to Angel again. I think. We, yeah, we see Jim angry in a way that we rarely see him angry. Uh, I, one thing about the, the two of them reading it, I kind of, I didn't do this. And I was thinking I wanted to go back to see if they're reading the same bits or if they're reading. Or if they're reading different sections. Yeah, because like you can absolutely see Jim and Angel focusing on two different, you know, Jim focusing on what they need to know and Angel focusing on. But anyways, mm -hmm. the point is. Jim is upset, and uh, Angel Angel is not doing himself any favors here. So Jim's like, I don't even know who this is. Uh, who is this woman? And Angel starts describing how, well, you know how it is when you get rich. Yeah. <laughs> Women start hanging around. They want stuff from you. Um, and so once uh, he describes her, Jim's like, oh, oh, I know what's happening. He recognizes her from the description, kind of puts two and two together. So uh, he's he's clearly 
frustrated and angry. Now they can't go to the cops, right? Because they're being right. framed for this murder. That's the whole point. They get back in the Firebird. You want to kill her? Well, how should I know? I know I didn't. And who's Carl Dorado? Well, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? I'm supposed to have answers for everything? So far, you haven't had the answers to anything. Angel starts starts muttering and having kind of a pity party for himself. And Jim, with like what seems like very real, expressive, frustrated <laughs> rage. Angel, shut up! And Jim is having none of it. He does say like, okay, where are the contracts? Yeah. Jim's like, okay, if we're going to solve this problem, we need to get deep, nipple deep into the paperwork. That's what we have to do. (laughs) Yep. It's like, where are the contracts? Like, I don't know, probably at Brad's. Did you even read them? (laughs) We end the scene with, you ain't taking this too well. Really? I think under the circumstances, I am remarkably under control. <laughs> and shoots out backwards, still looking directly forwards. Yes. This is one of those, like, you have to see the scene to really appreciate the, the depths of how frustrated Jim is with Angel. Because it's not yeah. just that Angel has put himself into hot water. Jim has come into this to help Angel. He had nothing to do with this. He could have stayed out of this entirely. But he's here to literally save Angel's yeah. life. And not only is Angel not helping, Angel doesn't even seem to acknowledge that Jim is trying to help him. Or that Jim is uh, an avenue in which Angel can help himself. It's good. And I'm kind of like, this might be the last time Angel's in this show because Jim might just never (laughs) want to associate with him again. (laughs) Stuff with this guy. Which thankfully is not the case. But I remember the first time I saw this episode being shocked at the depth of the anger that... yeah garners like brings into this scene um we see him like rough like handle angel roughly at other points in many other episodes but this is the 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 most that i feared for angel's well-being at the hands of jim and he doesn't lay a finger on him yeah uh moving on from there we go to uh brad charlotte and associates uh at night as They're rifling through filing cabinets, obviously having broken in. Good old-fashioned filing cabinet rifling. That's how the work is done. We cut back and forth from going through cabinets. Uh, Maybe yours is filed under S for stupid. (laughs) And uh, and an alarm going off in a security office or something. They do find the file that that Jim's looking for. Uh, As they wait in the elevator to go down, the security guard shows up at the stairs Stop, hands up. As he comes over to try and accost them in the elevator, Jim gut punches him out of the (laughs) elevator door so that it closes and they can uh, go downstairs. Uh, There's this moment where when the elevator door opens, Angel is just standing there, (laughs) huddling in, like not wanting to be more involved, right? (laughs) Yeah. Jim grabs him and hustles him out to, you know, you're with me now, pal. He doesn't say that, but that's the, you know, like you're stuck in now. I even love the way Angel runs compared to the way Jim runs in this scene. Like, as they're going to the parking garage here, uh, there's not, like, a big deal about it. It's just one of those tiny details. But Angel's run is so skittish <laughs> and so terrified, while Jim's is like, we got to get going. And then we get to our brief but fun uh, yeah. bit of car chase. They hustle the Firebird. Uh, as they try to leave this parking garage, a uh, squad car pulls up and blocks them. Jim executes a uh, a swift J-turn 
uh, in the parking structure to uh, get away from the cops. So this is now our second J-turn in three episodes. Yes. I'm glad to see the return. And then another standard. He whips around a corner and then backs into a parking space. I think, by the way the camera is set, I think it's the same parking space he was in, (laughs) which is a great touch. And then turns off the lights and they duck down. And so they're in there long enough that the cop car has not seen them do that. So it whips around the corner and then keeps going in hot pursuit uh, and whips around the next corner and is gone. And then he just slowly pulls out and leaves (laughs) at a uh, normal driving pace, scot-free. Yeah, a short but very sweet chase. I enjoyed it. Uh, and so now we have uh, Jim and Angel meet up with Beth at an empty Yay. park. Always nice to see Beth. Um, they're bickering and she makes them shut up and listen to her. Yes. And now this is shot with them between chain link fences. Yes. Like They're in the public, they're in the park, but it has a very jailhouse feel to it. And I think that's really specific for yeah. the, a, a bit that Angel has in a second. Okay. So she's looked through this paperwork of these contracts or whatever, and she says that, uh, it's like, did you even read these? (laughs) Um, From what she can tell, the idea was to get Angel in on the deal and then direct all of the cash flow for this whole development thing to Angel. And then he also has this big life insurance policy that they took out on him. This is all structured so that when he dies, they would inherit, like the other partners then inherit the money that he has been receiving. Yeah. Again, because this doesn't make sense to me as a viewer. And she very much says that, well, this doesn't make sense, except as some kind of tax gimmick. Yeah. Like, all right, here we go. Jim has a good line of, uh, Angel never pays his taxes. Um, <laughs> Angel's like, oh, well, these guys, they're all, they're all into taxes. They're all tax felons. Um, they, they posit and thus tell us what if they are trying to convert income tax to inheritance tax. So the right. income tax on their on this whole property, they'd be paying 50%, but inheritance tax is only 25%. So if all the money's going to Angel and then he dies, the insurance company pays out and pays the taxes on the policy, they mm-hmm. get that extra 25% in, in clean money. And Angel has a list of possible suspects 10 pages long. So... <laughs> The plan would be for them, you know, then they come out uh, blaming it on someone else and yeah. come away with uh, apparently this $5 million worth of taxes that they don't have to pay. This is such a delightful Rockford scheme. <laughs> so many Rockford schemes are the mob or some other criminal finding a bureaucratic loophole mm-hmm. through which they can scam some sort of money. Like, it's never straightforward. I shouldn't say never, but like I, I, I just love that it's like we need to figure it. We need to look at the the paper trail and and uh, we need to get a lawyer. We need to get Beth, a lawyer, yeah. in here to look at these contracts and determine why this is happening. Yeah, exactly. So, what can they do about this? Um, well, the way to keep it from happening, keep the money transfer from happening, would be to freeze Angel's assets. <laughs> and the only way she can think of to do that. I associate this kind of thing with the, the kind of the cannel and chase scripts yeah. where it's like, and now here's a kind of wacky idea. Um, if he's committed to a sanitarium with her as the conservator, then his assets would be frozen unless she released them. And so that yes. would work uh, as a legal way of keeping them from getting the assets. Um, Jim doesn't like this idea because then she's in danger. Yes. We can see from how he 
acts that he's starting to have an idea of how to fix it, you know, how to make this all come out. So he's like, but go ahead and drop the paperwork. Angel doesn't like this because he doesn't want to go to a sanitarium. And so here he has a little, he has a little speech where it's shot through the chain link. Yeah. Very specifically to have him in a enclosed space while he's talking about he's been to jail. He's gotten all the tests from behavioral scientists or whatever (laughs) while he's in jail. They tell him that he has unstable personalities. His fear of imprisonment comes through as it's presented to us in this way that shows him kind of already uh, uh, enclosed. It's a nice touch. And he's pacing and agitated. Like, so it definitely has that, like, uh, a caged animal feel to it. Jim caps it off by asking, well, would you rather die? <laughs> so we go to this, to this sanitarium. Apparently, uh, Jim and Beth are able to commit him. And <laughs> he has this whole, so he's talking to the doctor who's taking him away. He's like, don't worry. This is all a ploy. I'm not really crazy. And then he lays out all the stuff and the, and the doctor just kind of nods along. Yeah. And the mob's trying to kill me. Yeah. There's five million dollars at stake. And, uh, the guy's like, mm, I'm sure. Uh, uh, why do you think they're trying to kill you and uh, uh, patronizing him? Yeah. So a- Angel is playing into the hands of Jim and Beth, right? Right. Uh, where all of his protests uh, enforce their story. Of course, his last question, which we just hear on camera, is, are there TVs in the rooms? <laughs> so Angel. Jim uh, tells Beth to make her call at a specific time. He has a meeting with Dom in half an hour. Um, I don't necessarily love this, like, plot gimmick of committing him committing him to a sanitarium there's some comedic hay made with mental health that's not good yeah it's a joke yeah and like i don't really love the you know let's let's treat mental illness as a joke um right so angel angel's got some issues like that's the character of angel like we see him behaving in ways where you get frustrated with him because he's not behaving uh how you would want him to behave and that's you know if we if we if angel were a real person then there's probably something behind that like there's something <laughs> going on uh and yeah because i had some things in my notes about this too because i was like you know this is a little insensitive to actual mental health issues and i said but then again this is the mental health industry in the 1970s which wasn't particularly good for mental health issues too, right? Like in the spectrum of, you know, how mental health is handled in the Rockford files, uh, this is fairly innocuous for a more rigorous examination and actual like pointed look at it. The, uh, the two parter, uh, uh, bees, the trees and TT flowers that we covered fairly recently. That's like about this, um, Mm -hmm. in a very intentional way. And I think that's more, it's more successful in that. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's the episode, uh, uh, the competitive edge where, where yes. Jim ends up getting, uh, committed against his will to a, uh, kind of a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of situation. Yeah. That is, that is treated with some comedic tones in a way that is, that is not very sensitive, um, to the mentally ill. It's also not representing sanitariums. I think in a like realistic way. Uh, so those are kind of the ends of the spectrum of, of, of what we've seen for this kind of thing. One of the least comfortable bits of this is the one character, the basketball player, which is he at the, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that uh, shortly as we're getting into mm-hmm. our finale here. Uh, so Jim has a meeting with Dom. Um, uh, he has an offer. All right. You get me an angel off the hook. We'll transfer the ownership 
of the development company, which currently is frozen, right, because of the conservatorship, uh, back to Dominic. He plays all the fees and the straight taxes, and everyone just walks away. Uh, Dom, of course, does not want to do this. It's going to cost him $2.5 million. Uh, plus, he's going to have to hang the murder of, of Dolores on one of his own people. Yeah. Uh, and Jim's like, well, I told you you weren't going to like the deal. <laughs> I, I really love that line. Hey, this is what it is. This is where we're at. He wants a letter stating that they made it, and he will also incriminate himself in the letter so that if something happens and it comes out, uh, yeah. you know, it's insurance or whatever. Uh, stalemate, they're both incriminated if it comes out. That's the idea. Uh, Dom says he has to think about it. Jim gives him a deadline, but then slaps down 40 bucks and says, I always pay my debts. At this point, uh, you know, this deal is clearly a tactic to get Dom to react and not a, I expect him to actually follow through on it. Right. As Jim leaves, uh, Dom makes the call. He wants Angel and Rockford dead. He doesn't care how, but take David. And if he blows it, he owns the murder rap. We go back to the institution. Uh, Jim pulls Angel out of his room where he is watching TV. As they start leaving, they see David and two of the goons coming in. And now we have basically a uh, uh, physical comedy chase yeah. uh, full of pratfalls through this uh, institution. I, I have to say, I think my favorite part of it is when they're hiding behind the tray cart yeah. in the cafeteria. <laughs> and just moving that along uh as if that would not be noticed they run through a couple like places uh one of them is this cafeteria and they hide behind this cart but it's the only thing that's moving like everyone else is sitting down (laughs) so it's moving and then they crash it into a wall and then the goons see them and run after them um there's also a bit where they run through like uh, a room where this very tall guy is uh playing basketball with himself and he like tries to like dribble the ball like pass it to them and Get yeah, it back he, and, and everything. He thinks there's a game starting up, right. so he's going to play. And then they, they run out into this exercise yard, uh, and the goons start taking pot shots as uh, Jim and Angel run out the, the gate that's on the, the back end and take shelter behind a wall. And this is when uh, we get our bits from our preview montage of Jim going, where are the cops? Where are the cops? Yes, <laughs> they're supposed to be cops. Finally, some squad cars show up, and uh, Angel's, uh, come on, cops! <laughs> As the sirens uh, are going, David makes a break for it. He climbs over the wall, but then Jim tackles him on the other side. The uh, the, the cops arrive. Um, everyone drops their guns. They arrest everyone, of course, and pat down Jim along with the goons in a fairly standard touch. And then one of the cops and one of the uh, uh, orderlies or whatever grab Angel by the arms and start taking <laughs> him back into the institution. We have a, a plaintive... Uh, I'd rather go to jail. You got to tell them, yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy. <laughs> it was just the plan. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, we fade from that to three days later. Jim and Beth go to see Angel, who's still in the institution. So we wrap up the, the plot here. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Angel's off the hook. Uh, David pulled the plug. And everyone, Brad, Tony, Dom, they're going down for, for murder and for fraud. But the state uh, froze the deal. So he's not going to get anything out of it. He might have to pay some court fees. Beth is on it, but he's not going to get any money out of the uh, the Indian Head Development Company. Uh, Angel starts going off about all the... Uh, he thinks that they have it out for him. Um, <laughs> they keep on doing all these things, like showing him a bunch of ink on paper. And 
putting shapes in holes. Like, yeah. But he has this behavioral scientist that has been talking to him, and he likes that guy. Yeah, and he's been putting him on. He's been telling him all these that he's like a. Does he say that he's been telling him that he's a hitman or something? Right, right. He's like, what's it like to kill for money or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You know what they really love? Going on a hunger strike. It really gets him going. (laughs) And Jim's like, I don't think you should be doing that. We see the joke of Angel, you know, not understanding the consequences of his actions in this context, right? Yeah. Doesn't Beth explain to him that a behavioral scientist is a psychiatrist? Yes. He's like, oh, you're going to tell me. Yeah. (laughs) I have a lot more experience with this than you, lady. Uh, Our tall basketball guy starts looming over yeah. them and jim kind of gives him a look and angel's like oh don't worry he's just being a shadow <laughs> jim and jim seems very concerned <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he's being a, a shadow he's cool he's just being a shadow hey, do you think you can get him out of here i'll try jim really i'll try <laughs> angel takes another look behind him has a sudden realization of how weird this all is jumps towards the camera you know with a, with a panicked look on his face um so he's framed in between jim and beth and we freeze frame on angel's uh, uh dawning realization of the trouble that he's gotten himself into yeah uh all told a very fun episode mm-hmm. it falls in the category of one of jim's friends gets into trouble and needs his help right so that jim doesn't get any money from this we see that he loses some money in the beginning when he pays he pays david for whatever yeah and then he pays uh dom mm-hmm. uh 40 on the green um but that's the extent of it. although that 40 that's like 200 dollars in today's money it's not it's not nothing yeah it's about 180 dollars. so uh but it isn't uh it, it is not a paying gig for jim but I just want to go back and reiterate how much I love that beginning statement that just puts us right into motion. Oh, yeah. It's it's really good. The The pace of this one is really um, – I mean, it's good. It's very snappy, as one would expect. Um, so when I do this and I'm taking notes, sometimes I can I can see a, kind of a pattern of, of exposition based on my notes, like how much – you know, because I'm trying to note yeah. the plot details and stuff. So some episodes start very fat. And kind of trail off as the action yeah. hits, right? So, like, all the explanation and all the getting us to... Is at the beginning. And all the staging and, is, and everything is at the beginning. Yeah. All the establishment of relationships and all of that is in the first couple, three scenes. And then it gets... It picks up from there. This one is, like, it starts off real slim. And then we have, like, two chunky scenes that do all that. That give us exposition, give us character, yeah. give us forward motion with the plot. Um, and so the, when, when Angel and Jim have, uh, lunch with the, the snails, when, uh, uh, Jim and Dom have their conversation on the green, um, David and Dom's conversation, uh, Jim and Angel at the gas station. Yeah. And then Jim, Angel, and Beth. Like, they're kind of paced, right? It's like, yeah. Stuff happens, stuff happens. A little bit longer scene establishes more stuff. Stuff happens, stuff happens. It's a, a, a pattern that really, I think is probably more difficult to achieve than it sounds. Yeah. It really, and I really trust the audience to pick up on things that are implied, which I like. Like the first scene, we have no idea who this guy David is, but like so much is just implied by their conversation. Yeah. And then we get the hook of, you know, Angel's going to die tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Where is this going? Let's see. Uh, and then we find out more about, about David, but like we don't know what this book is or 
who he helped Jim get off his back or like any of that stuff. And it doesn't matter, but that context is important for showing us that David has a moral decision to make because he's not a killer. Mm-hmm. He's brought in as a killer. Like, why wow, that's important. That's really good stuff. I, I think that that one rough bit that we we hit uh, where Jim takes down the license plate mm-hmm. uh, might be an artifact of that pacing that you were just saying. Because what we get there is that that's just before uh, an informational scene, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just before David and Dom have a conversation about what's going to happen. So it's a little bit action-y, but we're not quite sure what the action in that scene is. Like right. Jim sees it happening and uh, goes and, and secretly records the license plate. Uh, and that has a nice private eye tension to it and whatnot, Mm. but because there's no payoff for that, there's no anything else. It's more of just like, well, we need a beat here. Mm -hmm. So here's that beat. And like, maybe there was a payoff for it that ended up on the cutting room floor, but the beat didn't because you know, you need something between. Right. That transitioned. Yeah. That probably, that scene probably could have just been cut after Jim sees the doors close. Right. And then go right to the thing. But it's kind of like... What does Jim do? And that he couldn't follow them because he was too late. So he took the license plate number. It's like, okay. As always, watching uh, Garner oh, and, yeah. and, and Margolin do their thing is <laughs> is the joy of the episode. Yeah. Uh, if you can find this one, watch it. <laughs> the scene with Jim in the car telling Angel to shut up. It's beautiful because it, you actually do feel uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he manages to to well, the two of them manage to bring you into the spot where it's like, oh no, Jim's angry, yeah. <laughs> not like upset or disappointed or you know whatever. This is a pissed off Jim. He doesn't yeah. want to be in this situation. Yeah, it's great. Worth watching, definitely. And I think with our you know with our quibbles of the unexamined things that are played for laughs. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about throwing that. up my hands motion. It doesn't make it a bad episode. It doesn't reflect on anyone's moral character. It's just like, hopefully as we progress, uh, as, as creators, we can examine these assumptions when we make mm-hmm. them in our, in our work. Since we have this, ex- these examples to look at of when they are played for laughs and it doesn't really feel right when this, uh, female character is basically killed to yeah. develop plot when that seems unnecessary. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Like we can learn from those as well as from the, the the good stuff. Agreed. Hence why we talk about it. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on Drought at Indian Head River? Uh, it's an enjoyable episode. It was a great way to to uh, to spend <laughs> the past I don't know, six hours, whatever <laughs> amount of time we spend on these things. We spend uh, at least ten to twelve hours. Uh, so yeah. the fact that you get it edited down, uh, dear listener, whew. yeah. <laughs> it, and I think it's a it was a good food episode, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is is more your Them your snails. territory. But we got a toaster, snails, jalapeno pizza. Yeah, Jim doesn't eat anything throughout the entire episode. No, so. just orders a coke, which he gets in a styrofoam cup the size of his hand. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely a keeper. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, mm-hmm. and we probably should have talked about this at the beginning because no one ever listens to the end of a podcast, but, <laughs> uh, by the time this episode hits the feed, we will have started a new, uh, effort, a new thing for our Patreon subscribers. Oh, yeah. So you are listening to 200 a day. Uh, we are starting a supplementary feed through the Patreon 
plus expenses. <laughs> Uh, whenever we record these, uh, we sit down and we kind of chat beforehand because we happen to be friends and like to catch up. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be recording those, uh, and putting those out, uh, lightly edited on the Patreon, uh, for our Patreon subscribers. You know, if you like our asides, uh, perhaps you might want to yeah. <laughs> check those out. It's like an aside supercut. <laughs> We also uh, talk about things that we've been watching uh, and reading and playing. Yeah. Generally, we do that anyway. And now that we're recording them, uh, we will you know, be making a point to be talking about uh, that stuff. So um, if you want even more, you, you too can subscribe to the Patreon for just $1 an episode. There's a separate feed that you get through the Patreon. You put it in your pod player of choice. It shows up with all of your other podcasts. Um Info is on the Patreon at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Yeah, and hopefully that yeah. will be uh, it's an, uh, a nice little bonus for those of you who like what we do and continue to monetarily support us. So thank you to all of our patrons for that. Yeah, thank you. And hopefully it's uh, a bonus size. Yes. I, I actually don't even know what size it'll end up being because we haven't finished one yet. There will be variable, but probably... Uh, aiming for the half hour, 40 yeah. minute range. Um, so that all said, while we did not lose any money on, uh, on golf this time, <laughs> uh, but we have earned our $200 for this day. So we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.